Hello, I'm Mark Canton, and this is the third episode in the series The Island of Prospect, uh, part of the National Gallery of Ireland podcast. In this episode, I talk to artist Ruth Lyons about some of her influences and some of her work, including her piece Solarium, which is part of the current exhibition in the National Gallery of Ireland, Shaping Ireland. Well, I'm here in County Offaly uh, with artist Ruth Lyons. Ruth, thanks for uh, chatting with me today. Thanks for coming down. We are, we're in a, a farm courtyard, farmyard, I guess you call it. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, how much does this work as a farm these days? Mm. Not really. No, it doesn't work as a farm um, in it's the ju- traditional sense at yeah. all. But the, the lady who owns this land rescues farm animals. So there are, there's an animal presence, but they're not farmed. Yes. <laughs> that's what it, so there's all kinds of farm animals around us, but they are no longer at work. No. It's a retirement, farm retirement home. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's very nice. And this is where you live. Yeah. So I, I lived here years ago. Where um, myself and another artist, Carl Giffney, ran a place called the Good Hatchery. So it's one side of this courtyard, which was a residential studio for artists to come and work in. But um, we we closed that down as a centre kind of in 2016. Um, and then last year, I just found myself uh, gravitating back towards uh, living in rural Ireland and now live here. Um, with my young son. So were you not living here when it was the Good Hatchery or were you living here some of the time? Or uh, I was living here for a large part of the time but we um, we were kind of gifted the space in return for developing it. So we weren't paying rent so it allowed me to be very nomadic and take up residencies and opportunities in other places but at the same time it was it was my base for the best part of uh, ten years. Yeah, and what was the so? What was the idea behind the good hatchery in a way at the start? Um, I guess that came out of Celtic Tiger Dublin and like graduating during that boom time, and um, not like recognizing that uh, Dublin was just unfeasible to be living in as an artist when we had no um, the business heads on us. We had no uh, idea of how we would were going to make a living. So just out of a, a, a desire to keep producing works that weren't uh, necessarily profitable to uh, find a space that we could go and keep working in. Yeah. Um, so we actually put a, an ad on FreeCycle, which is like an internet network for recycling uh, uh, items. To give away your items for free, kind yeah, of, rather than yeah. throwing them in the bin. Yeah, exactly. Find yeah. new homes for them. And we put an ad for a building. Wanted a building for yeah. artists to live in and renovate. Wow. Yeah, such a funny story. Yeah. And we met this amazing woman who's just incredibly open-minded. And she had inherited this land and just didn't have the resources herself to develop it. Or the energy, and so it wasn't that she so she she just saw us as kind of energy to come and like um, develop something, and just inviting other influences in. 
Um, so we took over one side of the courtyard, an old hayloft that had never been inhabited, yeah. but had um, was structurally sound, had a new roof on it and new windows. And uh, we we just set about figuring out how to like make it semi inhabitable, <laughs> semi habitable, and um, yeah. then for people then to come and work in. That, well, the, I mean, we didn't really know where we were going with it, but then very quickly, um, being from Dublin and like having had such a network around us, we just decided to open it up to other artists to come and work there so it became a, a residency of sorts mm -hmm. for uh, artists from inter internationally and nationally to come and just spend time in in um, a rural area and make work and and uh, did people find that energizing to come to the country and a change of atmosphere and that kind of stuff yeah I think so there's just a lot of freedom here like do you, you know you're I mean, there's a lot of freedom in the courtyard, but there's also a lot of freedom in the county. Like, the, there's just not that much traffic around here. You know, there's, yeah. nothing, there's very, it's a very quiet area, and we don't have a, like anyone passing by asking us what we were doing. So there's a lot of kind of freedom just to sort of make it up. And um, because I guess we were making it up, then it, I think everyone who came got kind of in like excited by that and like just got to rethink what they were doing maybe and yeah. just like imagine something. So so you were making up in terms of the whole hatchery idea. Yeah, yeah. I guess like we were we were just out of college. We didn't really have any particular vision in mind for what we wanted it to become. It was just a space of creativity and a space to to generate that and uh, to whatever end. Yeah. yeah. One of one of the residents is uh, chipping in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> uh, and so that that that's junior. That's what junior. Junior. He's very loud. nice. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to hear what senior sounds like. Uh, great. And so, was there was there a fast uptake on that then from artists? Uh, yeah, there was. Um, lots of people came. Lots of people came. It's interesting to think about it now because. That was 2007, and um, it was really the um, the moment when mobile internet was available. Um, like uh, there was not any decent broadband connection, but like you could uh, have a dongle, and you could um, we it, it meant you could be in communication with everything that was going on in Dublin but not have to be there and yeah. that was it was new you know and um, it meant that we could uh, build a website and have a have a presence in um, a conversation like a glo uh, global com art conversation yeah um, but be in this place that wasn't costing us yeah and um, something and um, yeah and because we had that presence on the internet, we did draw draw attention quite quickly. And Carl was very good at like building a website and was very savvy in that regard. So, yeah, that really the the two things I think like the the kind of contrast between that web presence and then this remote place. Yeah, it really did attract. Yeah, attract that's people. funny. Like you, you want to 
find a place to get cut off from technology, but te- technology is the easiest way to find it. Yeah. Like you found the place through uh, FreeCycle. FreeCycle, I know, it's so funny. And then other people are finding this place, you know, through websites and stuff. Yeah, I know, it's so funny. But, um, and it's, I think at that time, it was the first time in um, recorded history that 50% of the world's population lived in urban areas. Yeah. Uh, and then the trend has only increased since then yeah. towards moving to urban areas. But uh, we kind of recognised like how internet technology actually allowed you to move away from, depending on what you're doing, but allowed you to move away, us certainly to move away from urban centres and yeah. still have the connectivity that was desirable for to have a career as an artist. Well, speaking of your career as an artist, you have a piece in the uh, exhibition in the National Gallery uh, called Solarium. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, so the, the piece that's in the, in the gallery are... There's they're three vessels that are like carved um, bowls yeah. from uh, solid rock salt. And um, they're one part of a series so solarium is a series of carvings from the rock salt of a seam of salt um, called the Zechstein Sea. The Zechstein Sea, yeah. Uh, and this seam of salt runs from Ireland to Russia. Yes. Um, so this, the... Uh, the so like a seam so under the ground. So a geological seam of salt. Yeah. Yeah. So this... Um, it, I came across... The, this phenomenon um, when I visited um, a sal- the salt mine in County Antrim um, Irish rock salt mining it's on the on the north side of Belfast Lock and Carrick Fergus and um, I got in touch with them because I was just interested in where salt came from and mm. kind of had a notion about carving the rock salt wasn't sure if it was possible but was just kind of drawn to it and um contacted them and uh, said I was interested in making carvings from rock salt and would it be possible and what could I see their the salt mine and they said uh, they were very open immediately and they said um, that for sure I could come up and visit and they like they seemed to be open to my interest but they said that it wasn't possible to carve the salt but I could certainly try yeah um, so I went up and visited the salt mine, and it's um, just it it just blew my mind, like just the experience of going down into this uh, vast cavernous yeah. space, um, which is just situated on the coast. So you have this kind of um, you know if you drive along the the coast from Belfast, it's very industrial, and you're looking back into. Belfast Lock back into Belfast and um, the the site of the salt mine is really industrial as you can imagine and there's a really huge mountain of uh, salt rubble that's been extracted from the ground Right. Um, but it's literally right on the coast and then you go down a tunnel in a jeep like 600 metres or 600 feet under the ground and you're in this vast caverns that's like it's like motorways like these huge tunnels um and there's something like 64 kilometers of network of these tunnels 
in Antrim? Yeah. Wow. Under the ground there. And um, Like, I've seen photographs of that kind of thing before, but I didn't realize it was on this island. I know, this is yeah. it. This is it. Like, just, and, and it's so seemingly innocuous, like, when you see it, because it's just the actual industry on the land is small enough. It's all happening underground. Yeah. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's, it's quite, quite, phenom- quite a phenomenon. Um, and the, the fact that this is, the, like, these tunnels, they're not what you'd imagine when you imagine mining. They're not, like, they're not tunnels. They're actually, like, vast roadways. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, through self-supporting salt. So it's just, it's all salt. There's no kind of necessity to bolster these spaces. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, and anyway, so they brought me on a tour of the mine and... Um, while and we're talking me through it and we just mentioned in passing that this is a that the salt comes from um what was a body of salt water so an ancient sea Mm. um that's known now as the zextein sea which was 230 million Roughly years 230 ago. Million years According ago, to this pamphlet in front of me, I didn't just know that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a sea on the surface of the earth. Yeah. Which, like, then sort of leads you to imagine, like, well, then where was Europe and where was, like, yeah. you know, what, what did the earth look like? And it's just so hard to imagine that. And um, it just is such a challenge to your brain to think about that geological scale of time and how the earth has changed so dramatically within it um so this seam of salt ran this seam of salt was a a sea that now is a a geological seam of salt that runs from ireland to russia so as we were down in the mine um the miners were telling me that in theory you could tunnel from ireland to russia if you just keep tunneling east. Yeah. <laughs> and that's so that, that notion just really stayed with me. And um, so this is back in 2014, and I just could, couldn't let go of that idea and just sort of in some way wanted to make that manifest um, that there is this seam, this like bedrock, that there's this salt that is the bedrock of Europe, you know, that is this like. Um, unifying connection yeah, that yeah. defies contemporary borders that is prior to like any uh, any modern day Europe anything we know of mm. um, so, you, so they gave you some salt? so they gave me some rocks I just put them in the boot of my car Yeah. and um, having never like carved before um, I just set about just testing out different uh, tools with this on the rock and um, it's interesting the rock fro- in Antrim is from what was the shore of the sea so it's quite brown so you see the vessels now in, in the um, National Gallery they they have a high clay, clay content Okay. that's what the brown is and that that's because they're they're from what was the shore of this sea right um so uh they're qu- and they're the the way the salt forms and 
it forms these, these uh, kind of square crystals. So it's quite fractious. So if any impact carving, like a traditional form of carving. With a hammer and a um, chisel. With a hammer and a chisel, it actually would uh, just uh, shatter them. Right. But I started working just by, uh, with an angle grinder and just carving them. So kind of just paring them back. Yeah. Do you know? Um, and that, that sort of smoother movement really worked well. And then, like, without any uh, intention of where I was going in terms of, particular intention of where I was going in terms of shape, I just started making these vessels, these bowl shapes. And um, then, so now this, this series are all um, bowls, essentially, carved from rocks. But what I really love about the, the kind of the bowl shape and they're unusable bowls because if you put water in them, yeah. they're going to dissolve, yeah. you know. Um, Tasty bowls, but not yeah. uh, usable more than once. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, I, I, they kind of, for me, like echoes of like the, the first sculpture or the first way humans maybe engaged with like earth, like um, like a bowl is uh, yeah yeah like like the early origins of the mining industry even just like digging hollows into the earth you know yeah. just that that very simple uh, uh, form yeah and that the, the that this form also sort of allowed for the substance to speak through through it you know um, because they're they're just such a familiar form. It sort of allows for the salt to be the thing right. that is. So we know a bowl. So what's yeah? Yes. Yeah, so, so we know what a bowl is. So how does the the what this bowl is made out of exactly. affect the what what it looks like? Yeah. yeah. That that becomes the uh, the in the point of interest in them. Mm. Um. So. Solarium now is um, an ongoing series yeah. where I, um, having talked to the, started to work with the, the salt from uh, the Northern Ire Irish mine, I um, through them got in contact with an, um, um, the EU Salt Association. So okay. they told me that such a thing exists. And the EU Salt Association is an umbrella association for all the salt producers of Europe, mm -hmm. so solar salt and rock salt. And um, they, uh, I got in touch with them um, and said that I was interested in making a series of carvings from the salt of all the working salt mines that tap into the Zechstein Sea. And would they facilitate the contact for me? Mm. And they um, said, "Yes, yeah, that's a great idea. We we love it, and we'll we'll definitely help you." Um, but we've also been looking for an artist to make awards for our annual summit. Oh wow! So now, so then, like, um, it kind of became this project now where uh, I each year the EU Salt Association ship me salt from. The next mine is you go east. So this year I'm working, this is the fifth year, and I'm working with salt from eastern Germany. Yeah. And um, they, they shipped me a big pallet of salt, which is enough salt to make um, carvings for the Solarium series. 
and to they commissioned me to make awards and gifts for their annual uh, summit. Wow, that's so, amazing. Uh, yeah, so it's yeah. lovely. Uh, so it's kind of going this kind of holistic project where the the salt is also the economy of it, which yeah. brought in like a, a le- sort of for me is like um, really refers to the fact like salt the 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 economic history of salt and how salt is uh, the origins of where the term salary comes from. It's how. Romans were paid. Yeah. Uh, Roman soldiers were paid in salt, and it sort of then brings into it into the whole like project the the social s- layer. You know, the the that salt is key to the whole civilization process of Europe as we know it. So it's both like the literal and figurative backrock, back bedrock yeah. of Europe as we know it. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it kind of shows. I mean, what can happen if you just reach out to people that yeah. you don't expect? Like, yeah, yeah, so funny. So um, that yeah, as I said, this is the fifth year I've been working on it, and it's just it's ongoing. Yeah. Um, and do the awards? Are, are you making bowls for the awards? No, as well? no, the awards are like little pucks, um, like discs. So yeah. I core. Uh, I core out cylinders of the salt and slice them into these discs and then cu- engrave the date on them and then for the for the so that's the gift so I make maybe 30 gifts a year and they're for speakers at the annual summit and then an award which is for the safest mining practices oh well good <laughs> and that has uh, symbols and the year and it's on a limestone plinth so they're very much like they're very much that commission um, but the lovely thing about it is that it just it gives the spectrum of the project a presence in the uh, at the annual summit. Mm. So each year, like uh, when people arrive, there's the there's all the gifts on the table, and like every year, it's a different s- type of salt. It's from a different location, and the the beautiful thing about um, the salt as you go east is that you're kind of you're going deeper into this body of salt water um, and the mineral content changes mm. so at each site the salt is a different color yeah so the the salt in cheshire in england is grayer and uh, slightly more translucent than the the irish irish salt um, in france last year i was working with the, that salt and it was it's black um, in Germany, at one point, I was working with pink and yellow and slightly blue salt. Um, so there's just these really n- nice, uh, just color changes that happen, and uh, yeah, kind of illuminate the the this beautiful ancient sea. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Um, so I wanted to talk as well about some of the other uh, art that you make yeah you make a lot of like uh, sculptures and uh, large installations whatever I'm saying that on on landscapes like the exhibition is kind of about landscapes yeah and you've made some uh, larger pieces on landscapes Mm. yeah I suppose really my work is about like what inspires me is how, is land like 
how landscapes, the for forces that affect how landscapes sh is shaped um, yeah. throughout human history. Um, so geological natural forces and human forces? Yeah, and human forces and really looking, like really, I'm very, in, in, I'm really interested in how industry shapes landscape. And I guess that's a very, that is really part of the Solarium project. Mm. And um, really comes from, I mean, it's hard to separate, but I'd say it very much influenced from my experience of living um, in the boglands and how you're in this rural area, but it's everything is industrial. Like, you know, the, mm. you, you're kind of walking these, these like endless black flats of bogland, but it's industrial bogland or through fields and it, it's punctuated by pylons. And just, I guess from just the way it kind of, living in rural Ireland made me aware of that like that. Um, that the how industrial landscapes are and how it's just so pervasive and increasingly so and so um, there is no real natural landscape in Ireland no. no 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 oh. yeah <laughs> so what are some of the pieces that you've created for for some of these big spaces if that's not too uh, Give us some of your greatest hits, if that's not too. Uh, <laughs> um, do you do you do you think of an idea for a piece and find a place to put it, or do you go to a place and and? I tend to work for commission. Yeah. Um, so, um, really responding to an invitation to engage with the space. Um, so I'm working on a piece at the minute for uh, school in. Bray and uh, it's a it'll be my first permanent public work and um, so it's really exciting because I'm really interested in this kind of the, like the idea of legacy within landscape and like having something that can really influence how landscape is shaped throughout time um, and it's very much inspired by uh, a view of megalithic Ireland and how uh, monuments were built and still endure on the land and what they tell us today about the people who built them and their curiosity and their awareness of their place in the world and that just thinking about creating something that might have that legacy today and um, bringing that into the conversation of the art making whether it actually does yeah. you know? um, so the work I'm making for for this school is uh, almost like a modern megalithic. It's um, uh, granite boulders that are balanced on each other and there's portals carved into the rock and the, these portals act as uh, like time capsules. So with the students, we've selected objects that are encapsulated in um, resin casts that are embedded throughout the stone structures. Wow. And where is that going to be placed? Is that in the school? It's in the courtyard of Colostarahin in Bray, which is a beautiful site. So this is what I found so inspiring, um, as well as the kind of ethos and openness of the school, um, was this site, which is, um, it's on the, so the, uh, Colostarahin is on the north side of 
um, Bray um, and it's on the coast and it's looking towards Bray Head. So they have this three-sided co courtyard and the open side is looking towards the coast and Bray Head. And um, Bray Head is this like huge, uh, it's the kind of the, the start of this huge granite plateau that runs from runs from there um, inland and in deep deeper into Wicklow and is in the biggest granite mass within Ireland or the British Isles. Um, but there's also this really lovely history there where um, there was these fossils. Uh, Back in the 1800s, early 1800s, there was um, uh, um, a geologist called Thomas Oldham noticed these fossils um, on Brayhead, and they were thought to be the earliest fossils ever seen. And mm. um, they're called uh, Oldham radiata. So they were then named after him. Um, they're they're kind of a fossil called a trace fossil. So it's not um, it's not not actually a creature but like uh, a pattern in stone that is like the remnants of that creature's movement right. in that stone okay yeah yeah so it's a, like a radial uh, pattern yeah and um they were since then found like so you know all over the world yeah but for one moment in time Brayhead was like the focus of geologists from all over the world and um it generated this a school of thought called Ichneology, which is like the study of traces. Okay. So the, these kind of, these uh, influences kind of collided then for me to, it, like they kind of inspired me to develop this sculpture in the school. Yeah. And so the idea being that they're like, these portals are like traces left by the students and by their lives. So they're like, they've, they've uh, selected things from like, uh, uh, leaf cards or coke cans or mm. uh, scraps from a school diary or the school logo like a, a mixture of stuff that ranges from kind of personal to um, like uh, daily ephemera or rubbish um, yeah. um, technology like mobile phones like there's kind of maybe 50 portals throughout and um, yeah yeah. And <clears throat> so you're using these traces because you weren't allowed to fossilize the actual children in the rocks. Is that, <laughs> that part of it. Uh, wow, that sounds really cool. When 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 will people be able to see that, or is it even open to the public? Well, it'll be it'll be visible from the dart if you look back. Okay. But um, I guess it's very it is on the school land, so I don't know if it's how. Yeah. yeah how accessible it is ever to the public. But there's a parallel walkway down by the Dargle that will now run to um, the, I think it's the Strand Pub or, or the Harbour Bar, that way. Like the, that whole landscape is kind of in flux at the minute. So it may be visible from there. Ah, okay. um, but otherwise it's very much on the school land. Um, but the launch is this, is before the end of the school year. So we're installing it over the Easter holidays. Do you, um, as you're just going about your daily life, do you see places where you're like, I'd love to put something there? Yeah, I do. I often think about roadways. Like, yeah. I really, I really just think that there's such a, that roadway s sculptures can have such an important role in, and become 
re really important place markers in people's lives. Um, I think I think, and there's such an ancient tradition of that, like way marking, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, roadways for me are often really inspiring places to potentially locate something. Um, uh, any particular roadways or? Just as you're going around, you know, like I can't think of any yeah, 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 place yeah. in mind, but yeah, just as I'm going around, just yeah. seeing places and just thinking how important it is to get scale right. Then, if you're talking about motorways as well and or roadways, um, but more than anything, I just I'm really passionate about public works and creating works that are out in the landscape and that can be um, interacted with in a really kind of passive way almost just by the by proximity, just by daily, uh, by their visibility and presence in a place. And that like, that there's a kind of a generosity and it's just in a presence, you know, and that it's not demanding anything and that might not actually have even like recognizable influence in our time, but that might over time d begin to define a place, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm really interested, I'm really interested in public work and how um, art can sit in the landscape and reach to an audience that doesn't necessarily go to galleries or think about art, mm. do you know? And yeah. Are there any um, pieces by other artists uh, of that kind of type that you really admire or inspire you? Yeah, there's, there's a few um, in Ireland. Like, I really love um, Rachel Joint's uh, Sea Urchin. Okay. Out in Dunleary, it's uh, Sandy Cove on the walkway. What does that look like? I'm not sure. It's a, a large sea urchin by sea urchin standards. Yeah. Um, I guess it's probably about a metre high, like it's very much on a human scale. Uh, or no, sorry, maybe um, probably 1.8 or something. It's quite, it's it's over a metre. Um, and it's made out of cast bronze and it's just really simple, beautiful form. Um, but it offers kind of a portal to look through uh, at and kind of, looking at different views of the the sea there um, and it's just a really nice position and it's really understated and yeah it's, I think it's just a, a lovely lovely work um, and I also love um, uh, Lockie Morris's uh, I think it's called Pole Star and it's on a roundabout in Letterkenny and it's one of the most successful roadway pieces I've ever seen. It's uh, made of um, telegraph poles and it's just this geometrically stunning work. It's, I don't know, probably about a hundred uh, telegraph poles into a, um, a bolted into a, a spherical shape. And 
it's just a really stunning work and the scale is just so right because it's made out of like the architecture of roadways anyway you know this real commonplace architecture like the yeah. telegraph pole um and it's it's a really simple gesture in some ways but it's uh and also really uh satisfying because it's just so kind of geometrically pure to look at and um yeah i just think yeah. that's a fascinating work it's a really great place marker do you know when you um decided or when you were inspired to become an artist or to create these kinds of things uh, was there a <laughs> moment in your youth when you were like no there wasn't like to be honest i think I, i'm so lucky and i i often think this that i'm I never really wavered. I've never really considered what I wanted to do in life. I think, even when I think back to like play school, I think I always wanted to be an artist. Yeah. There was a moment when I wavered when I did like the, the leaving cert and then I went and studied architecture straight away. But I do have, I've all, I have a real keen interest in architecture and that's very much part of my work. And But even when I started studying architecture, it was with a view to that being part of an art practice. But I very quickly realized that there wasn't the, it, it wasn't the school of architecture for me at that time wasn't going to foster creativity. It would have hurt uh, that more than benefited me at the time. So I dropped out of that very quickly and went to art college. Yeah. But, um, in what way do you think it would have hurt your creativity? Um, I think it, the school was just very much geared towards the industry of architecture more mm. so than like broadly thinking about structures and um, how structures influence society and like the conceptual dimension of... Um, and not that I knew at the time that I was interested in kind of concepts about, like I was very much just interested in making and doing, but um, it just wasn't, I just knew it. I just knew that it wasn't going to, um, I guess everything that was kind of geared towards the industry was going to bog me down rather than free me up to create what I wanted to create and I, I guess I also knew that like even once you graduate you, you start at the bottom it's like I was really inspired by like I um, pays like uh, Pyramid at the Louvre and like um, Newgrange like <laughs> these kind of big structures and kind of yeah. ideas of creating yeah. like big structures in the landscape and I knew that First day in a tech in an architectural <laughs> firm, you probably wouldn't get to. Uh, <laughs> they probably wouldn't hand the Louvre contract <laughs> to you. No, like I guess what I realised more than that, like looking at like that example, like at the Louvre, like how um, how rare it was for even an architect to have a stamp. You know that it was always a firm. That not that I necessarily wanted my stamp, but like to be able to creatively drive something, like that. Um, that was always, always a firm and that you'd necessarily start at the bottom and that, um, you know, that how, how, like, how would you sustain your vision or your desire or, um, yeah. 
Mm. You, you talked uh, about a little bit about um, how you think about you know your impact on the future landscape. You know, yeah, a long time. Is there anything you'd like to see in, uh, say, Ireland's relationship with art and and landscapes in the future? Do you know what I mean? A, a, a change in attitude or, or a different way that we approach things like that? Yeah. I can't think about... I mean, I have... I don't have a specific idea of how something could change but what I just think about is like like say look at the looking at say the mine or looking at a quarry um, and like how these forces like the force of industry forms land and often in really stunning ways but the aim is always profit it's always the uh, the extraction of resources from the earth for the generation of wealth or for the ex- the use of those resources. And I just like to imagine, um, and this is, I like to imagine like, uh, you know, can, in an idea of like proposing to build something like the quarry for purely aesthetic purposes, <laughs> you know, yeah. like just as a just as a thought exercise. But just how could you justify that, like the building of a mountain for the pure, purely for enjoyment purposes, or for it being, um, for it changing how people think and inspiring um, I'm just like to imagine uh, like art or um, a creative drive ha- being given a platform on a level with industry mm-hmm. and how that might manifest or like how it might affect how the landscape is shaped even just just like as a as an exercise to mm. to imagine it. So, do you walk a lot around the landscape here in Offaly, and and how does that inspire you? Um. Yeah, I I do, um, and I'm. It's interesting. In theory, I, I do like to walk a lot and. You know, you imagine when you move to the countryside, you're going to walk a lot more. Maybe you might imagine that than than the city than or the you, city. Yeah, like we we were living in Dublin one before moving back here in September. But in actuality, you end up driving everywhere just because the spaces are large. Um, but I walk. Uh, I try and walk uh, as much as I can. And but around here. There aren't kind of uh, specific walks that I enjoy in the way I would in Dublin where I'd always go to the coast or go to a river. Um, and what I really miss here is like that there's no running water. There's no fresh water. It's oh, really? all um, like there's the canal. Okay. And then there's like pools in the bog. 
but there's a kind of a stagnation to both them, yeah. you know, yeah. a stillness. But I guess what is, I, I was thinking about this, like I was thinking about the salt work in relation to the bog and it's interesting what both of them have in common is like I said, like an, antra, an ancestry with water. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, uh, I'm always so drawn to water, but then I spend so much time in the bog and then like with this salt project, it's all about this salt, but actually uh, the backdrop to both of them is uh, water, like the bog. I mean, the, this whole area would have been low lying wetlands until uh, it became, became industrial and it was drained for to dry out the turf. Um, so it's interesting that there's this historical kind of water behind it. Mm. But we do, yeah, we walk a bit, but my, I have a two and a half year old and uh, walking is, um, he doesn't like, he doesn't want to be in the buggy, he wants to be walking. So mm. walking is wandering and it's like wandering the bog track, which is nice. Like he's really into trains. Oh yeah. So we walk the bog track um, and walk around here and there's, we feed the animals, but it's very slow. It's very slow paced mm -hmm. and it's very much like details. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of stops along the way to look at stuff. <laughs> a lot of stops, a lot of dandelions, yeah. a lot of looking at bees. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's lovely. Um, Have you felt a change in you since moving here from Dublin? Um, I just feel more at home in rural landscape. Hmm. Um, but you I, grew up in the city. I grew up in the city mm. and like my, my, we're generations from Dublin, um, but I've always felt more at home in the countryside. But I, um, I'm always drawn to the sea as well, so it's funny that I'm in the Midlands, but um, I guess always thinking about, <laughs> about the sea in some way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, uh, no, I feel very much more at home in the countryside and it allows me to think big. It allows me to imagine works of a large scale um, and think clearer. Uh, I just have um, a much, much greater clarity of thought when I'm in And what do you think that is that gives you that? Or what takes it away from you in the city? I think it's a sense of space, like having... Uh, a view, having uh, a sense of being in a vast a space that's like way bigger than you, um, and a sense of that scale, like that there's these time scales going on that are much greater than you, and being connected to the seasons, like just here, this you know, the activity of spring and um, the awareness of these greater cycles. And for me, that's what's very much about that re what really inspires me about the salt work as well is that this kind of this epic cycle like that what's fascinating mm. about working with the salt is that it's it's high hygroscopic so it, as soon as you take it up from the earth it's absorbing water mm. and it wants to be the sea mm. you know it wants to be the sea again so this is just like epic cycle where like uh, you're working with it but like it's as as soon as it's like in dust it's just this moist dust and then there's pools of water around you you know wow. um because it's just absorbing moisture from the atmosphere but just that like i always find that the notion so poetic and so simple 
and then also so incomprehensible because it's this scales like this vast scale yeah. that you have this dust that like wants to be the sea and is just going to become salt water again and flow back into the sea and it's this cycle that is just so so enormous and I guess being rural Ireland sort of a, or a rural landscape um, gives you more of a can, an instant connection to those sort of scales of time um, on a much smaller scale as well, just like the seasons. Great. Um, Ruth Lyons, thanks very much for being on the show. Oh, thanks a lot. I think it was a real privilege to be on it. Cheers. The Island of Prospect podcast was presented and engineered by myself, Mark Canton, and produced by Jenny Taylor and Brina Casey. Mm-hmm.